0: say that um, Christopher's book is actually on sale. There's a table if you're interested in purchasing the book and that book will also be available um, in the college bookstore if you want to do that too. So um, how many of you have heard Christopher already today? All right. I'm still going to introduce him because not everyone raised their hand Um, but thank you so much for coming back. Because of Christopher's personal testimony, he has an understanding heart and a desire to minister to those working through issues of sexuality and to those living with HIV and AIDS. He's a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton College Graduate School with a master's in biblical exegesis. He is currently pursuing a doctorate of ministry at Bethel Seminary. He teaches at Moody and also has a speaking ministry both nationally and internationally. I'm very excited as you see the topic today is very relevant to all of us here a Christian response to homosexuality um, on a college campus so I'm very excited to hear what he's gonna have to say and with no further ado here's Christopher.
1: Before I start, I, I, I did say that I was going to give a book away, um, so I don't know some of you guys that have tweeted or are on Facebook, um, so I kind of combined the Twitter, Facebook tweets and posts. Um, if you're not here, well, I, I actually don't have the book now, I, I left them at the, in my hotel, so I'll have to send it through, you guys have a campus post office or CPO, or what do you guys call it, mailboxes? Mailboxes. Okay. Um, so, is, let's see, um, well, he didn't give a last name. It's just Andrew. Um, but the Twitter name is Prof Aardvark. I don't know who that is. So, oh, sweet. Okay. So, um, I don't have the book, but I'll send it to you. You have to give me your your mailbox number. Okay, cool. So, congrats. <laughs> um. Well, this is a very, uh, very relevant issue. I mean, as I keep kind of saying over and over, um, and uh, you know, often churches and, and Christians were sometimes hesitant to talk about really touchy subjects because. Um, you know, sometimes the excuse can be, or, or the reason can be, if we're going to say something, we want to make sure we say it right or carefully, and, um, uh, and so I think, Christians, we have been a little hesitant in talking about this, so, but I'm so encouraged that um, Geneva is, um, has invited me, and, and I don't want you to think about my time here, or even my talks, as being like the end-all be-all, like I'm giving you all the answers. But what I'm really hoping is that with me being here, it's going to begin conversation. So in a sense, I, don't, I know not everyone on campus is here in this room tonight, uh, but I'm going to hand off like a baton to you guys and giving you guys now the responsibility to continue the conversation on campus. In a loving, gracious way, there's going to be people that will disagree there's gonna be people that will agree with you Uh, but let's do it in a respectful loving compassionate way Uh, no matter where you stand on this issue but let us all do it with respect um, for every person no matter what you believe Um, but also um, let's see how we can continue that conversation even when I'm gone Um, and more importantly look for ways that we can reach out to our friends whether they're on campus or off campus who are gay or lesbian um, or are wrestling through these issues um, but hopefully my, my prayer with being on campus today has been that the conversation will continue so is that okay can I give that responsibility now to you guys that when I leave tomorrow that uh, even though I won't be here anymore that you guys will now continue the conversation in On your floors or in the uh, cafeteria, what do you guys call it the cafeteria or the what Alexis. Alice's? alex 's at alex 's um, you know in classrooms but but really continuing continuing the conversation and doing that um, just in a respectful loving way okay um, so I think as we talk about this we do need to be honest that generally speaking um, the church does not have a good reputation when it comes to how we approach this issue of homosexuality. Generally speaking when people think about the church and if they would peg the church for anything on this issue of homosexuality it would be we're hateful, we're not accepting, uh, we don't understand. Uh, so, as we look through the years, um, it has been quite negative. How many of you guys have ever heard of the book Unchristian? Anyone? Okay. Unchristian um, is a book uh, written by David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons, and they studied how young Americans viewed the church. And one thing that they found, or several things, uh, w- what they found was quite staggering. What they found was. Young Americans viewed 18, uh, 16 to 29 viewed Christians to be confusing, not accepting, boring, insensitive, out of touch, too political, old-fashioned, hypocritical, judgmental, and guess what is at the very, very top? Anti-homosexual. And look at those numbers. 91% of those outside the church view that we are anti-homosexual. Ninety-one percent. We might as well say everyone outside the church views that we are anti-homosexual. But look at the second column. Those are kind of the church, young adults um, and youth. Eighty percent. That's our peers. Eight out of ten of you all, I'm not 16 to 29 anymore, view that we are anti-homosexual. And I want us to note something, note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say anti-homosexuality, which maybe I could understand that, you know, that we, if, if we hold to a traditional view of sexuality, we do not believe that God blesses homosexual relationships, homosexual sex you know, kind of against that even though I don't like to be known for what we're against, right? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if people knew what we're for as opposed to what we're against? So even though I wouldn't like that, but I could sort of understand that, but that's not how we're perceived. We are perceived as being anti-homosexual. Similar word, three-letter difference, I-T-Y. And we might think, well, what's the big difference? Well, I think it's a big difference. One is more the kind of the issue. The other one is what? More the person. And so, we are perceived as being against gay people. And I would hope that we would realize, if you've sat under any good Bible teaching, that the Bible isn't against any person, the gospel isn't against people, God isn't against people. I mean, if anything, God is for people, turning from their sin, turning from their ways, and turning to Jesus, but God is for people. But we must remember that someone's perception is their reality. Someone's perception is their reality. So no matter how you might think we've been communicating things, and and even though we don't believe, uh, we we are not against gay people, but our reputation, how the church is perceived, is that we are against gay people. So this next talk, you know, we're looking at, you know, you know, homosexuality on the Christian campus, how do we respond in a Christian, biblical, gospel-centered way, we would look at, you know, maybe we kind of need to do things a little differently. That the way that we have been communicating on this issue has kind of maybe played into, possibly, the way that people perceive that we are against gay people. So let us kind of put aside all that we've kind of thought about this issue and and see maybe what God has to tell us, you know, draw us closer to God's heart on this issue. There's many ways that I could approach this issue. I could approach this issue politically, looking at what's wanting to be passed in our laws and state, federal. I could look at this psychologically, developmentally, but I just kind of want to be really clear this this evening. The way I want to approach this issue is using as our foundation the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that okay? I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be our foundation to be what guides us and to be where we land because that is what is most important than anything else. Um, So what is a good Christian response to homosexuality? Um, And I forgot to mention, at the end, we're going to probably have some time for question and answer, so all of you guys got a little index card, so have that there. If you have questions, even while I'm talking, feel free to kind of write that down, and toward the end, we'll collect them, and we'll have a little time of Q&A. So um, with the gospel as being kind of what grounds us and what is our foundation, you know, um, I think there's basically four things that can help us uh, reach a more gospel-centered Christian response to homosexuality. And, And one of those first things is having to do with our attitudes, our attitudes. First and foremost, I think it's so important that we have to be convicted of our brokenness. If, you know, we hold to traditional view of sexuality, we see that homosexual sex, homosexual relationships is a sin, well, we need to be conscious about our own sin first. You know, Jesus says before, uh, you know, you take the speck out of, Your brother's eye. We need to take the plank out of our own eye. And and that, I think, is talking more about our Christian brothers. But I think that can be applied as well as we're talking about other people and and their sins. Because, you know, too often the church is viewed as pointing their finger at other people and, and telling them, you know, you're a sinner. You're, you know, you're doing this wrong. You need to change. But the reality is, you know, we need to be looking at our own brokenness, our own sin. When I lived as a gay man uh, for many years, I felt the church was telling me that homosexuality was just the worst sin, that people like me, those you know, people in the gay community, that they deserved a hotter place in hell, that Jesus somehow had to hang on the cross a little bit longer for gays and lesbians, but we know that that's far from the truth homosexuality is not the worst sin and yet often we kind of treat it that way you know we we always talk about it you know in in ways that that make other people believe that homosexuality is not is the worst sin and we kind of overlook sins that are often common within the church whether it's gossiping or jealousy or pride or gluttony whatever it might be you know uh, even adultery or fornication, but, you know, heaven forbid, you know, homosexuality, you know, we, we then really need to address that issue. So we need to be very conscious that it's, homosexuality is not the worst sin, not the worst sin. And and I know in, in some circles, um, some conservative circles, when, when people think about homosexuality, it's, it's really difficult for them, because when they do, it just evokes just a a visceral response and and they think you know it's just disgusting for me to think about a man being with a man or a woman being with a woman Um, and what I feel like telling these people that, that have that reaction is actually that feeling of disgust that you might have is actually a good reminder it's a good reminder that that feeling of disgust that you might have is probably just a fraction of what God must feel when he looks at our own sin and maybe even more because we have the Holy Spirit and we know better so our sin is just as odious in God's eyes and and we really need to, to, to grasp that um, I, I know often people will, you know, as, as I travel around the nation, so, you know, internationally as well, as my parents and I share about our journey with this issue, people will come up to us and, and share about how they have a loved one or a best friend who's, who's gay or lesbian. And, and then oftentimes they'll break down and cry. And, and, you know, it touches me that they have such a burden for their loved one. But then I step back and, and I think, how often do I have someone share with me about their best friend who struggles with gossip, and they break down crying. How how often do I have someone that comes up to me and shares with me that their son or daughter struggles with pornography or jealousy, and they break down and cry? And the reality is, if we don't weep over our own sin, I believe we aren't being convicted about our own brokenness. Are we really broken to the point that it just tears us up inside about our own sin? I, I love how someone said, you know, you know, instead of saying love the sinner or hate the sin, I think we need to say love the sinner and just hate our own sin. We need to just hate our sin. So... Um, You know, because ultimately, our desire is to draw people to Jesus. Our desire is to draw people into an intimate relationship with Christ. But have you ever seen that happen through a holier than thou attitude? You know, oh, I came to Jesus because this old lady, she was just so pompous. No, you know, that's not how it happens. You know, it's, it's, you know, this lady, she was so gentle and patient and compassionate, and she prayed for me, and that's how I came to Jesus. It's always through humility and gentle, gentleness and patience, and that's how we come to Christ. So through what we do and say, let us first really pursue to be humble on this issue of homosexuality and be broken about our own sin, convicted of our own sin. That needs to be step one before anything else, before we do anything on this issue of homosexuality. So not only do we need to be convicted, but we need to be consistent as well. You know, when I look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was so patient and he was so compassionate to those nasty sinners. But who was he hardest on? He was hardest on those Pharisees. Why? Because they were hypocrites. Not only were they hypocrites, but they were living inconsistent to what they knew. They knew the law of God. They they knew that they had to love the Lord your God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, but they weren't living to that. And so Jesus just called them out on that. And he had no patience for that because they were inconsistent. And so I think we need to, you know look at our own lives and see what is it in our own lives that that is a little bit inconsistent in in how we're living and when it comes to homosexuality I think there's three things where we have become a little bit inconsistent first of all in regarding relationships why relationships? Well, you know, relationships, especially for those in the gay community, is very, very important. Whether it's a boyfriend, whether it's a girlfriend, whether it's gay marriage, you know, and, and it's so important to them. It's almost everything to them. And that's part of our culture here in the U.S. We look at kind of our, the media and in Hollywood, the, the movies that come out in Hollywood, you know, they usually begin with a single man or a single woman, and they're really miserable, And then they hook up, and at the end of the movie, they're just so happy, you know? And we kind of instill that in our children, right? You know, ever since you guys were younger, how do all fairy tales end? They live happily ever after. You know, we never get the 10-year checkup or the 20-year checkup. You know, hopefully they're still living, you know, happily ever after. But the lesson here is that it's not that marriage that ultimately brings us contentment. It's Christ that ultimately brings us contentment. And so too often, and don't get me wrong, I do believe that we need to lift up the beauty of marriage. But do you know what we have done as the church, what we have done instead? We have done that at the expense of singleness. So now singleness is this consolation prize. I'm so sorry you're stuck with singleness. You know, it's just, you know, I I don't know how you go through that, you know? How do you go day to day, you know, as a single person? I have a good friend. um, She was a missionary in China for five years. She comes back to the States and went to a conference, and she saw a whole bunch of her old friends, and, you know, they they ask her many of the questions that people always ask, you know, when you haven't seen someone for a long time, you know, are you dating anyone? Are you married yet? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm still single, you know what three people said, you know, in three different situations to her? Can I pray for you? <laughs> you know, I mean, it was as if she had cancer. Singleness is not cancer. It's not a curse. And yet, that is what our culture, not only in here in the U.S., but even within the church, we kind of, you know, look at singleness as this, as this curse, you know, and yet the Bible is really clear on what singleness is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. I think we all would really strongly agree, amen, marriage, that's a gift. But on the other hand, we wouldn't say that singleness is a gift. We would say singleness, whew. That is a calling. You know, you have to be <laughs> special to be single. But, you know, honestly, I've spoken to married people. And I know marriage, it takes work. It takes giving of yourselves. It takes loving sacrificially and unconditionally. And men, what is our jobs when we become husbands? Our job is to lay our lives down for our wives and I don't know any man who doesn't have trouble with that and as hard as that is, I believe that that is what we are called to. So you know what I say tongue-in-cheek? I say marriage, that's a calling. (laughs) Singleness that's a gift. I don't have to lay my life down for anyone yet. <laughs> you know, hear me out, though. I'm not saying you know, I'm trying to lower one the, below the other or say that one is better than the other. I'm simply saying, biblically, if when we lift up the beauty and gift of one, we have to lift up the beauty and gift of the other. That is Biblical, And that helps us because the reality is for people wrestling through issues of sexuality and if our message is that, you know, you may need to forego, forgo, you know, these intimate dating relationships for the sake of Christ, do we have a healthy place for singles, godly singles, Christian singles to thrive within the church? And what I'm not talking about is kind of throwing the Christian singles into, you know, the Christian ghetto, you know, a.k.a., you know, the career and singles group, you know, college and career group, right? But I'm talking about really having a healthy place for singles to thrive and not feel like they have to be pressured into getting married, you know, but not being open to marriage as well. Because did you know Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, that there will be no marriage in heaven? Did you know that? I mean, I'm sorry to kind of ruin your Wednesday, but we are going to be single in eternity. But do you know why? Do you know why we'll be single in eternity? Because we will be wed to the Lamb of God. We'll be wed to the Lamb of God. So really, marriage as we know of it here on earth is just a symbol of an eternal reality of christ's relationship with his bride the church and when that becomes actualized in the end times there's no need for the earthly symbol that's why i believe a marriage will be done away sometimes people ask me you know Am I called to singleness? I'm 42 years old. You know, I'm still single. And oftentimes, you know, people who don't really know me, they, you know, ask me all the questions. you have kids? You're married? You know, are you dating anyone? And it's no, no, no. And, you know, how old are you? You know, it's kind of like what's, you know, I see the gears turning. What's wrong with you? You know, they're thinking. And, you know, and I want to say, you know, I've got my own issues, so leave me alone. But, you know, the reality is I've got, you know, great friends. Um, you know, Christian brothers and sisters, and they're still single. Uh, They don't have issues like I do. And, you know, God just hasn't opened the door up for them. And yet they're not freaks of nature. Uh, They're not, you know, God's not trying to punish them. But really, the reality is, you know, that we need to really embrace this reality that singleness is a gift and marriage is a gift. Both our gifts, both our callings, and when we grasp that, I think that will give us a healthy place to begin communicating what God is calling us to, whether you have heterosexual feelings or homosexual feelings. Because I think marriage and singleness are two sides of one coin, that we have to emphasize both the same. So people ask me, are you called to singleness? Well the reality is, I, anymore, I don't plan my future. Okay, you know, you, you see where that got me before and I'm just, you know, I'm not going to plan my future anymore. But the reality is, I don't know what God has in store for me tomorrow. I have no idea. But I tell people, I know one thing for sure, and that is that I'm called to singleness today. I'm called to singleness today. Why? Because I'm single today. That, you know, I believe in a sovereign God, that, that He has me where I am today, not because I've been bad, or not because I'm somehow not ready or, or He's trying to punish me, but because God is sovereign. And I think that just as often marriage can be a way to be drawn closer to God, I think singleness can be a way to be drawn closer to God as well. So we need to uh, really grasp that and have a consistent view of relationship because that greatly will affect how we minister to and how we are even capable to and able to minister to people on this issue of homosexuality. Second thing that we need to be consistent to is sexuality. Sexuality. What is it that God is calling us to? I mean, isn't it true that the Bible promotes heterosexuality? Well, I mean, is that what is normal? Is that what God is calling us to? Well, When I look at heterosexuality, what does that mean? I mean, it's being attracted to the opposite sex or just having being sexually intimate with the opposite sex? That is pretty broad. And within that kind of broad category of heterosexuality I see where the Bible actually speaks out against things that are considered sin, like adultery, fornication, lust. In the context of the Bible, those are all in the, in the category of heterosexuality. And so if heterosexuality is too broad of a term, and if it's not homosexuality, uh, homosexual relationships and sex that God is calling us to, then what is it that God is calling us to? God is calling us to holy sexuality. And what is holy sexuality? Well, holy sexuality, I think, is, as I look through scripture, I only see Two options, two scenarios for the outworkings of our sexuality. One, if you're married, complete faithfulness to your spouse of the opposite gender. If you're married, complete faithfulness to the op- to your spouse of the opposite gender. Or, if you're single, complete faithfulness through abstinence. Complete faithfulness through being a, a celibate single. Those are the only two options, and I didn't really have a name for that, and so that's why I kind of created this, my own name or, you know, this own term and just called it holy sexuality. And what I like about that is that applies to everyone, everyone in this room, no matter if you're young or old, no matter if you're a guy or a girl, no matter if you have homosexual feelings or heterosexual feelings, we all are called to live a life of holiness. I have a friend that I think helps, illustrate this one point of holy sexuality and the one aspect. Um, he lived as a gay man for many years, uh, comes to Christ, and he, he realizes that God was not calling him to be in uh, the gay relationships that he was in, uh, begins living a celibate life, felt called to singleness, and he was totally cool with that. He was in ministry, uh, he had a tight group of friends that were kind of like his family and accountability group and support group. There was another person that he was in ministry with, uh, kind of that, that he worked with, and she came from a broken past as well. Um, not homosexuality, but was very um, promiscuous with, with men and had several abortions growing up, and so she was kind of like, you know what, I'm just done dating guys. She just wanted to focus on a relationship with God. Um, so they became like best buddies. They were able to kind of share everything together and be really transparent, talk about how you know, this person was struggling with that. And, and there was never any of that weirdness that often happens between a guy and a girl. You know, does he like me? Does she like me? You know, they, just, they didn't have to worry about that because she knew he didn't like guys and he knew that she just didn't want to date anymore. Well, after some time, it was th- something interesting happened. He started noticing things like her hair. And she smelled good. And she had curves. (laughs) Well, he says, puberty is hard going through once. Try going through puberty twice. He got up enough courage and asked her out on a date. And eventually, he asked her to marry him. And this is so cool. On their wedding night, he told his new bride, Honey, I cannot explain this. I am not attracted to any other women. I'm only attracted to you. That is holy sexuality. I believe when God brings two people together into that miracle of one union flesh, he will provide all those two people need to fulfill that covenant relationship. That's holy sexuality. And we all need to strive after that. Holy sexuality, if you're married, complete faithfulness to your spouse, of the opposite gender, or if you're single, complete faithfulness through abstinence, celibacy. Um, and uh, so, third thing that we need to be consistent is regarding change. You know we think change when we think about that in regards to homosexuality that must mean turning gay to straight or at least no longer having those feelings. But do we apply those same principles to anything else? Let's just say um, I have a friend who struggled with drinking. He was an alcoholic for years comes to Christ, stops drinking for a long time, but I talk to him and he says, you know, I still have the urge to pick up a beer, but I don't. Would I then say, you haven't been changed? We need to lay some hands on you. You need some deliverance. No, of course not. I actually think that the manifestation of God's grace is more evident in his life because he has to say no to his flesh and say yes to God. So that's why change, it's not the absence of struggles. God never promises us that we will not struggle. God never promises us that we will not be tempted. But change, it's the freedom to choose holiness in the midst of our struggles. That is God's faithfulness. Because God's faithfulness is not proven by plucking us out of our temptation. God's faithfulness is shown by carrying us through it. That is God's faithfulness. So, we need to be convicted of our own brokenness. We need to be consistent regarding um, relationships, regarding sexuality, regarding change, And then third, we need to be compassionate. We have to be compassionate. You know, I I teach at uh, another CCCU school at Moody, and often I have some of my uh, students that come up to me and they share with me things like, um, you know, they they share with me that they struggle with this issue, they think they're gay, Um, they've been wrestling with same-sex attractions. And often they continue on with telling me things like, I hate myself. I wish I was never born. I feel rejected by the church. I feel that God despises me and disgusted in who I am. Struggling with shame, depression, and often thoughts of suicide that should move us. That there are followers of Christ, our brothers and sisters, that might be wrestling through issues and feel for whatever reason that they can't open up with this one issue. So we have to be realizing that we have to look for ways to be, to be a safe place, to be a more compassionate person, because this is, can be the difference between life and death for someone. So what can we do? How can we be not only a safe place, but how can we make um, my clique of friends a safe place, my floor a safe place, this campus a safe place? What can we do? I mean, first and foremost, I mean, and this might not, this could be just really obvious to you guys, but just expect that this is present here, not just Maybe expect this is present here, but maybe, you know, even some of your close friends that you don't even know about might be wrestling with this issue, but not be surprised. I mean, should we not be surprised that some of us actually struggle with our flesh? That some of us might be tempted by sin? I mean, should that not surprise us? I mean, as Christians, as, as you know, the church is the body of Christ, I mean, is the church you know, a body of believers where we have it all together, you know, we, 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 you know, have all the answers, we don't have any problems and we, you know, come together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, you know, or is the church a body of believers who are broken and desperately need Jesus? Can I be totally honest with you guys? I am broken and I desperately need Jesus. Anyone else out there that can agree with me and say, I desperately need Jesus? So the reality is, let us kind of hand-in-hand walk together to Him. Not because we have the answers, but because we know someone who does. And that's what we need. We need the body of Christ just simply being the body of Christ. We resonate with one another because we all need a Savior. So you know just expect that this is is present here but on the other hand not be kind of overly suspicious or overly paranoid you know when i came out to my mom before she became a christian she kind of just thought everyone is gay you know my goodness they're sitting really close together maybe they're gay you know you know my goodness you know he's wearing pink you know i never knew you know so i you know you just you just don't know. Uh, sorry. <laughs> d- but so what I'm saying is not that. <laughs> but you know, so just be careful, not be overly suspicious and cautious, you know, your gaydar going crazy. But, you know, just basically not be surprised that there are people prob- maybe in our rows. Some, you know, that we go to class with in our, dorm, uh, on, on, in our dorms that are just, you know, honest people that are just wrestling through this issue and that look for ways that we can kind of help these people through this. Second, be able to articulate what is your position on this issue. Are you able to talk, you know, what you believe on this issue? And can I just say what I'm not talking about is it's a sin, don't do it can i just tell you that just doesn't minister to people okay you know it, it doesn't really help someone it just doesn't and, and, but what i am talking about is our desire no matter what your issue is our desire to draw people closer to jesus that's our hope drop closer draw people closer and ourselves closer to jesus so that we want, we're willing to surrender all that we are to him, including our sexuality. That is our hope. That's our desire. And, and you know, be able to know and, and know what is Geneva's position on this. You know, so oftentimes people think, you know, oh, it's, you know, these CCCU schools, they're just condemning, you know, homosexuality and they're just wanting to just kick everyone out that, you know, wrestles with this issue. No, that's not the issue. No. You know, we want, we know that we all wrestle. We know that this is... Um, something that we want to help you with and draw um, you and, and walk with you in your journey. Um, you might have some people that you kind of are wondering, may, I wonder if they might be uh, working through issues of sexuality and you want to let them know that you're there for them. So often, sometimes I have people that, that ask me, okay, I have this friend and, I, and I'm kind of wondering if they might be wrestling with this issue of sexuality. How do I bring it up and, and ask them about this? Don't. <laughs> okay? You know, can you just imagine if someone comes up to you out of the blue and says, um, do you struggle with homosexuality? You know? <laughs> awkward, right? I mean, just, I, that, that would, either, it just wouldn't be a pretty situation. So I'm just suggesting just don't do that. But what you can do is emphasize your commitment to them. Tell them this, I thank God for you. And I thank God that he put you into my life. And I just want you to know, you know, our friendship, nothing can change that. Nothing you can say or do, you know, I, I just value you so much as a person. And I just, want you to, I just want you to know that. And by saying that, that creates a safe place and invites them in. Shouldn't we be doing that with all of our friends on any issue? I mean, we should always be, we need to have three or four or five close friends that, it, we, that we create that safe place, that anything can be said, and I'm not going to judge you or hate you or treat you any differently. So emphasize your commitment to them. And fourth, this is a point that I always bring up, but often I know that um, when I do bring it up, it it's, could be just preaching to the choir, because those of you that are probably coming to hear me speak now ca- probably get it. Uh, but like I said, remember I'm giving you the responsibility to continue this conversation, but it has to do with the joking. Zero tolerance on joking. And even the bullying, I don't know, you know, I don't think on college campuses bullying might not be as prevalent, but if some of you guys might work with youth, I mean, just being really conscious about that. Because it still happens, it still goes on, and you know, I know that, you know, there's groups outside the church, uh, public schools that are kind of taking the banner and fighting against bullying and and the joking. And sometimes along comes with that our message that we might not fully agree with and embrace. But just at the surface level, can we as followers of Christ simply saying that bullying and joking is wrong? That there's nothing Christ-like about it. I mean, I would love to see that it would be the church that's on the forefront in fighting against bullying. It's the church that's saying, there's no place for that here. We're not going to put up with that. I mean, if anything, not only should we not put up with it, but as followers of Christ, we should be the first ones to stand up for those that are being mistreated and those that are being bullied or, or joked on and saying, you know what, I, I don't care. You know, I, even though. We don't have a lot in common with this person. I'm going to stand up for him, even though there's you know there's things that we might not agree with him. But I he is a person that is created in the image of God, and I'm going to stand up for this person. So can we agree on that? That we're going just no, no zero tolerance on joking, and that we can help that. And you might ex- you know be hearing that maybe on your uh, dorm floors or you know wherever that other people might be doing that and i suggest instead of like totally calling them out on other people in front of other people pull them aside one on one and say you know what i just feel you know i just want to just encourage you that you know that that to be careful with what you say because honestly we never know when someone might be an earshot of that and they could be wrestling through this issue. I mean literally you never know when someone might be wrestling through this issue and when they hear that, what that communicates is it's not safe here. It's not safe to be working through issues of homosexuality. So zero tolerance on joking. So instead of, you know, that's so gay, often I encourage people, let's be more creative. You know, instead of that's so gay, you know, how about, that's so Baptist, or you know, that's so Presbyterian, or you know, whatever that might be, you know, whatever, that's so RP, whatever, you know, just, just let's be more creative in our, instead of saying, that's so gay, okay? So, not only do we need to be convicted, we need to be consistent, we also need to be compassionate, but last, we need to be complete. We need to be complete in our message when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. And you know, what I'm talking about is what we say. We need to be complete in our message because we are people of the truth. Why are we people of the truth? Because we believe that it's the truth that sets us free. So what is the truth? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? I think for many people, they just say that's really easy. I got that one. The Bible says that it's a sin. And that's true, but can I tell you what most of us do when we say that? We put a period at the end of that sentence and we say nothing more. And do you know what that is equivalent to? That is equivalent to giving someone the one spiritual law tract. I don't know if you've ever seen the one spiritual law tract. But let me tell you, it goes like this, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, sorry. In case you didn't know, that ain't good news, okay, that is bad news. That's really bad news, and yet that's the message that we're giving to the gay community. You're a sinner, you're going to hell, there's no hope for you. It's no wonder why people in the gay community want nothing to do with the church. It's no wonder why people in the gay community uh, just are running from Christians because our message has simply been, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, there's no hope for you. And that is an incomplete truth. And can I tell you, an incomplete truth is just as harmful as telling someone a lie. So what then is the complete truth? What is the message that the Bible has to say about homosexuality? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10, mentions homosexuality. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul lists 10 sins. Two of those are homosexuality. And just too often people say, well, look. See, we have right here where gays and lesbians will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the problem with that is when we do that, we have tunnel vision. And we kind of forget about all the other eight sins because if we're really honest with ourselves, we would realize that actually most of us or all of us will not inherit the kingdom of God. And guess what? That's bad news. But I am so glad that Paul did not stop there. He went on to say, such were some of you. I love that. Let me say that again. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord and in the Spirit of our God. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not only good news, that is great news. That's news that we can declare from the rooftops to the gay community, to the straight community, to any community that needs to know about Jesus, that you can be washed, you can be sanctified, you can be justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And so let us, in what we do and what we say, be redemptive and focus upon the transformation that not only has happened in us, but can happen in others as well in Christ. Because ultimately, people in the gay community, our loved ones, our friends, our Christian brothers and sisters that are wrestling with same-sex attractions, their main issue is not homosexuality. Their main issue is to know Jesus and to fully surrender to Him. That is not only their issue, but is that not our issue as well? Do we not have to daily surrender all that we are to Him? So that is really where the focus needs to be. This, uh, you know, I want to kind of give you guys now just some practical things of what to do, uh, how to minister to those affected by homosexuality who experience homosexual feelings. And, and I kind of want to do it in two categories. First of all, Christians who might be wrestling with this issue. They know that God's not calling them to them. How do we minister to them? And that would be kind of more min- mentoring, discipleship. And then it would be to those that are kind of, you know, think it's okay, and many of them that are outside the church, people in the gay community. How do we reach out? That's more evangelism, discipleship. So let me focus first on Christians that experience same-sex attractions. How do we minister to them? Let's just say, I mean, after this week on sexuality, that you guys continue that conversation once I'm gone, right? And let's just say you have a friend that you've known for a while, and they call you up or they text you and say, can we talk? You meet with them and they share with you that they wrestle with this issue of homosexuality, that they have same-sex attractions, that they think they're gay, you know, they don't even know what words to really use because they've never talked with anyone about it. Do you know what to do? Here's some things that I suggest. First of all, thank them. Thank them that they trusted you with this deep, dark secret that they've probably told no one. They've probably rehearsed in their mind for like weeks or months on how to tell you. And they finally trusted you enough with this. Thank them. Thank them that they trusted you. Don't freak out, you know. Tell them that, you know, I'm just going to, I love you the same. I'm going to treat you the same. But thank them. Second, tell them that they're not alone. So many people that are Christians in the church and, and they wrestle with this issue, they think that they are all alone on this issue and that no one will ever understand them. And though it might be true that you may not understand all there is to know on this issue of homosexuality, if you simply tell them, I'm willing to take your hand and walk with you to Jesus, that can be the difference between life and death. You can tell them, I I may not know all the intricacies about this issue, but I know someone who does, and his name is Jesus. Third. Keep reminding them that their identity needs to be in Christ, and this is really key, uh, you know, because for most of us, sexuality is a part of who we are, and, and at your age, it's a, it can be a pretty significant part of who we are and part of what we think and feel. Sometimes it can just seem overwhelming. You know, our desire for intimacy, our desire for relationships. But the reality is, no matter what we feel, no matter what our passions, our desires, those don't define us. What defines us is Christ. That needs to be something that all of us need to be reminding each other. Because God's not calling us to embrace ourselves. God's not calling us to somehow love ourselves more, but God is calling us to embrace Christ. God is calling us to love God more. Because God doesn't want us to be simply just... God wants us to be more than simply our desires and our behaviors. So our identity needs to be in Christ. Fourth... Be realistic. Don't just kind of give these false promises that, you know, if you just read the Bible more and if you just pray really hard, you can somehow just pray away the gate. You know, and, and don't get me wrong, reading the Bible and praying is important, but we don't read the Bible and pray so that we won't have problems. We read the Bible and pray so that when problems come and when temptations come, we are stronger and more mature to live faithful to God even in the midst of temptations and struggles. But don't give these false promises because, you know, it isn't going to be easy. I often tell people that actually before coming to Christ was easier than coming to Christ. You know, because before I came to Christ, I had an urge, I did it. I, I had a desire, I went for it. Now, I have a Heavenly Father that I want to please, and I have an enemy nipping at my heel. So really, you know, it's, it is not going to be easy, but the difference that we have is that we have hope that's not of this world. That's the difference that even when we are going through trials, even when we're going through difficulties, we can still go through life with hope and even some joy. So be realistic. Uh, Fifth, don't focus so much on the externals. You know, it used to be thought, you know, how do we help someone, uh, a guy coming out of homosexuality, or how do we help, you know, a girl coming out of lesbianism, well, you know. We get her all dressed up, you know, in a tight dress, you know, have her hair grow long, you know, get her a nice makeover, and she'll be straight in no time, you know. Or, you know, a guy, you know, have her, you know, teach him how to throw a football, get down and dirty, you know. No, that is focusing on the outside. And God doesn't, isn't as really concerned with the outside. He's concerned with our heart. And wouldn't it be amazing if the change was from the inside out and not from the outside in? So, don't focus so much on the external. Because, you know, masculinity and femininity, I think, you know, our categories for masculinity and femininity are more culturally bound than anything else. You know, because when we think of what is masculine, masculine here in the U.S., you know, it's your kind of alpha male, you know, your um, football player or construction worker or, you know, Marlboro man or whatever, you know, which, by the way, Marlboro man, he's gay. Um, So that might not be a good uh, measurement of masculinity. Uh, But really, you know, I I always laugh because if you took kind of our standard for masculinity here in the U.S. and imported that to like, let's say Asia, that wouldn't be masculine in Asia. That would just be barbaric, okay? (laughs) You know, so, you know, I think sometimes, but I'm not saying that I don't think that there is uh, no differences between men and women. But I mean, I think sometimes... Our standards for masculinity uh, can be more culturally bound than anything else. I mean, who says that being artistic and musical is feminine? I mean, I, that's not biblical. I mean, was not David? I mean, what, you know, the, one of the greatest musicians. Uh, you know, the, the people who sewed you know the tapestry um, on the tabernacle, men. You know, can you imagine if those men lived today, you know, they would be, you know, called queer or gay or whatever, you know, you know, Queer Eye, you know, you know, whatever, what's that story, or the, the TV show Queer Eye, the straight guy, and then Queer Eye, or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, it's, that we kind of categorize in these, you know, stereotypes that it's only, you know, if, if guys are artistic, then they must be gay. Who says so? You know, just because, uh, you know, a girl doesn't like to wear pants, you know, or, you know, or or she's athletic, that doesn't mean anything, you know, that just means that God has gifted her with being great at sports, so we have to be very careful with the way that we view masculinity and femininity, and that sometimes our views are more culturally bound than anything else. Sixth, Let's encourage God-honoring same-sex intimacy because really what a guy needs most coming out of homosexuality is actually deep intimate relationships, godly relationships with other men that are God-honoring and close but non-sexual. What a girl needs most coming out of lesbian are relationships that are godly and honoring uh, to God and intimate and healthy, but non-sexual. Because I think God put it in all of us to desire relationships, intimate relationships, with the same gender, but that are non-sexual. So, you know, at the core, as I look at homosexuality, that need for, for intimacy and desire, I think it's a legitimate need but it's just fulfilled in an illegitimate way. I think all sin is a legitimate need fulfilled in an illegitimate way. So we need to really encourage that. And I know that for, you know, you ladies, that comes easier for you. You ladies, you know, maybe it's just more so- socially acceptable, but, you know, you guys have a best friend that you can hang out and, you know, share everything with and get on the phone and, you know, talk and talk and talk and <laughs> talk. <laughs> You know, guys, you know, we get on the phone for five minutes and it's like, okay, you know, it's forever, you know, are you done yet? But I think, guys, we really need that. We need to have a Jonathan, a David, to really hold us accountable, to sharpen us, and to be really transparent with. Because that is what God created us to have, to have these godly relationships with the same gender uh, that are intimate but non-sexual. So that's what we would do with our Christian friends um, struggling with same-sex attractions. Then how do we reach out to the gay community? How do we reach out to the gay community? Uh, some of you guys might know this acronym LGBT. For those of you that don't know this acronym, um, it's not a sandwich. Uh, it's not you know, bacon, lettuce, tomato, cheese uh, you know, um, bur- uh, sandwich, but uh, it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. How do we reach out to our LGBT friends and loved ones. Before I tell you what you should do, let me tell you what you should not do. Do not compare homosexuality to addiction, pedophilia, murder. I know oftentimes people say, oh well you're saying that all gays and lesbians do drugs and are promiscuous as I was. No, that's just part of my story and I'm just kind of just honestly telling my story and where God has brought me from. But not all gays and lesbians um, are addicted or do drugs and not all gay men are pedophiles. You know, I don't know where that came from Um, And be careful that when you're talking about homosexuality, sometimes people say, oh, well, I say, well, you know, I think homosexuality is like all other sins. And, you know, they name, you know, like jealousy and gossiping and and murder and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I have a gay friend that says, why do Christians always compare me to a murderer? (laughs) That's, you know, not a really good way to try to win someone to Christ. So I would not use that as a specific example. Um, Also, don't use these two words. Don't say lifestyle and don't say choice. Because people in the gay community oftentimes they are offended by those terms because by saying lifestyle that gives the impression that somehow they chose to be gay. That they chose to have these feelings and I've yet to meet someone who actually chose to have those feelings. Where that choice comes in is we choose to respond to those feelings. That's where the choice comes in. But when you don't have that Christian framework, you can't separate what you feel with what you do and who you are because that's all one and the same. Who you are is what you feel and what you do. you know. But we can't separate that. We can't separate and say, I'm created in the image of God, but I have a sinful nature and they're in tension with one another, right? So um, be careful not to say lifestyle or cho- choice. Also don't use this phrase when we're speaking with our gay and lesbian friends. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Yes that is how we should reach out to them but don't tell them that. (laughs) Don't tell them that you know because the one word that they'll often probably hear and remember is simply hate. So just get that out of our vocabulary when we're talking with our unbelieving friends. And then fourth Don't feel the need that you have to answer pointed questions and that you have to, don't feel the need that you have to defend the truth. In other words, debate. Um, And and what I'm talking about here is there is a time for truth. There is a time to speak into someone's life, but not when they're trying to debate with you. And let me give you an example. How many of you guys have ever been asked by a friend or maybe your... uh, you know, you're a lesbian, you know, I don't know, a a relative or or a good friend of yours, and they ask you this question, do you think homosexuality is a sin? How many of you guys have been asked that before? And oftentimes they'll ask it like that, right, with the finger pointed at you, and you're just like, this ain't going to be pretty, okay? I mean, you just know right away because, you know, if you're honest and you say yes, what's going to happen? I mean, then they're just going, well, you're a bigot, you're, you know, you're hateful, you're one of those people, I thought you, you know, or if you say no, then you might not be really being honest with what you truly believe. Well, in those situations, when you sense that it's going to be just a debate and they're not really asking you for information and sincerely wanting to know what, you know, and want to hear you out, they're basically just trying to draw a line in the sand and say, are you on my side or are you on that side? I'm giving you the freedom that you don't have to answer that question because there is a time for truth but not in debate. What I suggest if someone asks you that question, what you can say is, you know, I value our friendship more and I value you more as a person for us to be debating all the time. Can we just celebrate our similarities and tolerate our differences and just not focus on this because I want to get to know you more and I want to learn from you. And by saying that, that can sometimes dispel it. If it doesn't, sometimes they might say, well, okay, you still didn't answer my question. I would then say, well, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are all sinners. I make it personal and say, and I'm a sinner. And yet Jesus came to die for our sins. And if you simply believe in Him, you can live in eternity and have your sins forgiven. You just had the opportunity to share the gospel. You know, because that is what is key. It's sharing the gospel. So, don't feel that you have to answer it. But if at some point God begins working in their their life, and they honestly do ask you the question, "What does the Bible say? Do you, is the Bible, you know, is homosexuality a sin?" When you sense that their, their heart is softened, I think we do have the right to kind of tell them, "Well, this is what the Bible says," but you know, but do it with grace and love. So that's what we shouldn't do. What should we do? And I'm going to finish with this. First of all, pray. Pray and fast. My mother prayed for me. And fasted every Monday for seven years. Once fasted 39 days from me. Can you imagine if we actually began to fast and pray for our gay friends and loved ones? We might actually have a revival breakout in the gay community. Wouldn't that not be amazing? And so let us pray and fast. Because we cannot change our friends. We can't change our loved ones. And ultimately, you know what? Change, it's not possible. Benign, but I know a God who does the impossible. So we need to pray to Him. Second, be intentional. Don't be afraid to, to uh, I'm sorry, uh, listen. Listen to your you know, friend and don't be quick to speak, but be, but be quick to listen. And what you'll realize is that really no different than us. Third, be intentional. Take them out to dinner or coffee. And yes, people will probably look at you and say, what are you doing eating with that person? What are you doing eating with that gay person or uh, you know, that sinner or whatever they might say? You know, but the reality is, did not the Pharisees accuse Jesus of hanging out with those nasty people, those sinners? But then how would those sinners know about Jesus if he didn't spend time with them? So be intentional. Take them out to to dinner or take them out to coffee. Fourth, be patient and persistent. Because, you know, it's going to take time. Don't think that this is just going to be your pet project for the next few months. But even for me, seven years, that was a short time. I know people who've been praying for decades. So be in it for the long haul. Last be transparent. It might be hard to share, you know, the gospel to someone all the time. And, but what you can do is share what the gospel has done in your life lately. Because we should not be the same as we were 10 years ago, 10 months ago, or 10 weeks ago. You know, I would never have considered the gospel if I didn't see the gospel lived out in my parents' lives. I would not have picked up that Bible from the trash can if I didn't see the Bible lived out in my father's life and my mother's life. Can I tell you, I did not leave homosexuality because I found it to be so bad. I did not leave homosexuality because I thought it was so wicked or so immoral. I didn't leave homosexuality because I thought it was so unhealthy. I left homosexuality because I found something better. And that's Jesus. Our job as followers of christ is to show a dying world that jesus is better that jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer whether it's a job a career a boyfriend a girlfriend marriage family kids all of that jesus is not only better but jesus is best and so let us in everything that we do in our actions in our relationships in our words show to a dying world that Jesus is best no matter what that they may be clinging to the fool's gold that they may be holding to that Jesus is the best and help and just proclaim that in our lives and into the lives of our friends in the gay community and in any community that needs to know about Christ let's pray father we thank you for the gift of life we thank you for jesus we praise you that we have a savior whose arm is not too short to save god this isn't not only just an issue that affects us but it's something that affects many of our friends and our loved ones god help us to do all that we can to to treat them as people who are created in the image of God. Respect them and love them. Help us to be able to stand up for others that are being mistreated. Help us, Lord God, to be a light and show that Jesus is not only better, but Jesus is best. God, I pray for this campus that as we continue forward through the rest of the semester, Lord God, that we will continue to uh, continue this conversation on homosexuality and, and to help people to us to be a safer, more compassionate place. Help us, Lord God, to be convicted of our own brokenness. Help us, Father, to be consistent in all the things that you've been pointing us toward and help us, lastly, to be complete and focus upon the gospel and focus upon Jesus. God, we praise you, we thank you, and we ask this in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. And the people of God said, Amen. I, th- uh, I think we're going to do some question and answer. So if you guys have um, questions, um, you can write them down on a piece of paper and then someone will be collecting them. Um, I guess over here, Um, you can either pass them down and uh, we'll just spend a little bit of time going through these. Okay, um, I'll just start with um, this question. What is your HIV-AIDS ministry? Um, well, I, um, I kind of, I feel God is calling me, and, and I think um, my ministry this past year has focused a little more on the issue of sexuality, um, but I've, I've just spoken at different conferences on, on HIV and AIDS and I've spoken at uh, churches uh, to kind of give a voice and give a face to um, people living with HIV and AIDS, because oftentimes um, people living with HIV uh, or AIDS, um, there's a huge stigma, and and people don't even want to talk about it. Uh, So my burden has been to kind of help educate people that um, there are people in our churches, in our communities that live with HIV and AIDS. Um, Some of them might have been because of the way that they lived. Some of them, it was total, you know, nothing that, that they did out of the ordinary. Um, you know, maybe it was their their spouse that infected them or maybe it was a blood transfusion. I mean, we just don't know. So, um, that's been my burden to help educate people on that, on the issue of HIV and AIDS. So, that's kind of what I do, is kind of be a spokesperson along with um, speaking on the issue of, um, of um, sexuality and I've done also a lot of my international trips have been on the issue of HIV and AIDS. I've gone to Africa twice and spoken at different conferences there on HIV and AIDS and it's interesting because I would go and I think why in the world am I going to Africa? I mean there's just you know millions of people that are living with HIV and AIDS. Why am I going? There's one person to go, but what I realized that is the stigma is even greater there and people totally don't talk about it and so I've gone and spoken and I've had people come up to me and say you're the first person that I've ever met that publicly spoke about the fact that they are living with HIV and AIDS and so you know it's, I I just feel that my calling is to help dispel some of that Um, stigma that we have on HIV and AIDS and help educate people that it's not, you can't catch HIV from a hug or, you know, you can't catch HIV from sharing a utensil or even sharing a cup. Um, So, let's see. Uh, Another question is, um, how do you define godly masculinity? Um, Not an easy question. Um, I mean, I think... um, I guess I, I kind of do it more so than like what I don't think it is. Um I I think that um you know, God, masculinity is not you know, um being rough and tumble uh or or being good at sports or being manly um but 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 I think it's um it's I think being, you know, godly masculine masculinity is being someone who is, um, uh, you know, responsible and in uh, willing to, uh, you know, like Christ, being willing to love others sacrificially, and, and because I think to me, uh, leadership is actually uh, the best leadership is those type of leaders that are servant leaders and and are willing to kind of sacrifice themselves. Um, for the sake of others. And so, I mean, I think that kind of, that type of leadership is is what I kind of see as godly leadership, uh, masculine. Um, let's see. How can single people find their place in life in church without feeling jealous of married friends? Uh, sh- uh, okay, that's the first question. Um, I think, you know... Um, I think it's okay for for us to, you know, w- when you see two people in, in, in a relationship, I mean, of course we're going to kind of, you know, be happy for them, but also kind of desire that because, I mean, we are created to be in community. I mean, we're created to uh, desire intimacy. Um, but what I would say, when, when you see people and kind of feel that kind of pang of jealousy or desire that, oh, I, you know, I'm missing out on that. I see that as an opportunity for us just to crave heaven more. You know, because ultimately, you know, it's only in heaven that all of our needs will be met. Isn't that amazing? You know, and also realizing that just because people are married doesn't mean that they don't struggle with loneliness anymore. <laughs> doesn't mean that they don't struggle with, you know, other issues. Uh, you know, so it's, it's realizing that, that can I, even in my singleness you know, reflect Jesus. Because oftentimes people say, well, a marriage should be able, should point people to Christ through their relationship. I think singleness in the way that we live should point people to Christ as well, that I can live content and, and happy, even though I find it difficult, and even though I might struggle with loneliness, that I can still live faithful um, even in the midst of my circumstances. Um, another question is, should a gayer and lesbian couple seek marriage, um, especially if they come to your church. Um, well, I do not, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. So, I mean, if this couple came to me and they seek counsel for me, um, I, I mean, and they were honestly, um, humbly seeking for my opinion, I would just tell them that I, I don't think that that would be something that God is calling you to. Um, so, I don't think that that would be... I would I'm would rejoice that they're going to church because wouldn't that be the only place that they'd hear the gospel? I mean, where else would they hear the gospel? So, I would want them to, to continue coming. Uh, do you think you can be too young to experience holy sexuality in a relationship leading to marriage? Um, uh, let's see. I mean, I think... I'm not too sure uh, what a, what specifically that was, but maybe, I mean, I, don't, I think all of us, in a sense, I mean, holy sexuality means, remember, two options. And, you know, whether, if you're not married yet, you're still single. Uh, even if you're engaged, you're still living as a single person. And we, we as, as we read the Song of Songs, right, we see the, uh, you know, Solomon's um, fiancé, bride-to-be, and, and she's talking about. I mean, uh, I always laugh, laugh when I think about that because you know Jews, you know, they're not allowed to read that book before they're 30 years old because it's just way too scandalous. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I, I love that because you know you see her talking about her, um, the, the groom, and and him talking about her. I mean, you could tell they're just like totally madly in love, and you know very, being very even erotic in their talking, but then the young lady says, you know, what is it, you know, do not erase love uh, or awaken love until it's time. And that is just so key. That is a great message for us, those of us that aren't married yet. I mean, they were on their way to get married and then they could justify, say, well, we're engaged, we're going to get married, let's just do it, you know. And, you know, oftentimes that's kind of even Christians, how we just justify, right? You know, we're going to get married anyway. I've already given her the ring. So what's the difference if it's just today or, you know, six months from now? But no, God is calling us, even in the midst of passions and desires, purity. God is calling us to that. So I don't think anyone is too young to experience that. Um, but remember the two options. If you are married, though, just living, you know, be completely devoted to, to your wife. Is that you know, or your wife being completely devoted to your husband, in in uh, your you know for because for women it's less sexual and it's for desires because sometimes you know, uh, ladies it's, it can be you can be drawn in your relationships in the wrong direction. So just being very conscious about that, and I think that is holy sexuality. Um, what is your opinion on the whole uh, Chick Fil A thing? Um, Their waffle fries are banging um, <laughs> um, I don't know you know you know I mean it's all crazy the, the uh, all, what what has been going on even the whole political thing and um, you know i i, I, I would I have said things differently than how, what he said? Um, I probably personally would have, you know, but also hindsight is, you know, twenty twenty, 20 And also he was being interviewed by a Christian um, news outlet. So, you know, and often I think they have, they did pull things out of context in, in what he said and kind of added things that, that he didn't say. But I probably would have said things a little differently. Um, but I mean, overall, I, I think the way that they attacked him was a little bit unfair. Um, but I personally think, um, you know, some of you guys have already gone to my Facebook page and Twitter. I was really careful during that time not to really say anything, even though I had my own strong personal opinions. I didn't want to, I didn't want to publicly say that, and the reason why was because I have a lot of friends. Um, that follow me on Twitter and uh, follow me on my Facebook uh, page um, who are gay and lesbian and I just out of respect I know if I said anything on Chick-fil-A um, that would just be a smack in their face um, so it's, all, it's just recognizing that that um, our words though we might be justified in kind of saying what's going on with Chick-fil-A is, is wrong with the politicians and blah 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 but no, that it, what, if we just say anything, it can be very offensive to people who don't hold to our same views. I mean, very, very offensive to the point where it seems like we're attacking them personally. So I, I'm just saying, just be careful with what we do or say. I mean, so the only thing that I did post about Chick-fil-A was um, that video about um, what's that guy? Hi, 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 uh, Andre or. What's that? No, no, no. The, the, the one that said the waffle fries, they'd be banging. Um, you guys haven't seen that? Oh, you've got to search for it. It's the guy that says, hide your mom, hide your kids. Oh. What's his name? Oh. Antoine Dodson. Look at look it up. You'll <laughs> yeah, but make sure that you're like sitting down because you'll like fall over. He's hilarious. <laughs> That's where I got that. I thought you guys knew what I was talking about when I said, well, them waffle fries, they'd be banging. Um, Okay, my brother is uh, going through uh, similar struggles. Um, uh, My mom is crying out and fasting for him. How can we help my mother through this time? Um, I mean, it it isn't easy for any mom. Um, uh, You know, I I know several parents have um, just been encouraged uh, like by my parents' testimony maybe. Sharing them, uh, I, I don't know if there's a recording here, our book um, can be an encouragement to this mother. Um, but being able to you know, help pray with them and, and just say that um, oftentimes parents, and, and my, my parents shared this in the lunchtime to um, some of the staff, staff and faculty. Oftentimes, uh, parents, what they feel is guilt. That like somehow they did something wrong didn't raise their kid right or whatever and and, you know um, we often just tell parents you didn't do anything wrong. It's not your fault. And simply saying that can just be freedom. It's not your fault. You could have done everything perfect and guess what your child still could have done something or rebelled or whatever. I mean, look at Adam and Eve. I mean, did they, not, did they not have a perfect father, perfect environment, and guess what happened? They took that stinking apple. You know, I mean, just they still rebelled. So it's not your fault. Um, and also to help um, parents know that you, you can't cure your child. You can't change your kid. Only God can. Um, what is a tangible way to encourage holy singleness on our campus? Um, you know, I think... Um one thing is uh well you know this is this is a Christian campus you know Moody's also a Christian campus you know Moody Bible Institute you know we it's really Moody Bridal Institute um <laughs> and uh you know ring by spring I don't know if you guys have that but I mean it's just you know the whole you know because before I went to Moody I you know I went to a secular university, University of Illinois and Champaign-Urbana. And when I went to Moody I was like, oh my goodness, these people are like serious about, you know, dating. Oh, no, they don't date. We court, right? <laughs> right? You know? you know, I love the Christian pickup line. Uh, let's share testimonies. Um, and, uh, you know, first date, you know, DTR, you know, picking out draperies and, you know, how many cars you're going to own. So, you know, I mean, I appreciate the fact that we're not going, playing into the whole kind of the secular dating scene because that isn't something that we need to embrace. Um, but I think there's a sense in which we need to um, be careful with with how, and, uh, you know, when I'm emphasizing on singleness, don't hear me out, you guys, to think that I'm saying, you know, dating is bad and, and don't do that. I, I'm just saying, you know, we need to both celebrate our single friends and at the same time, you know, as we're celebrating, you know, uh, people that are pursuing marriage. Um, I think one thing is to, you know, because in, in our on Christian campuses the culture is looking for many opportunities and stuff that's, that has, it's, it's kind of couple driven, right? I mean a lot of the activities. So as, as couples what you can do, um, I, I encourage you to reach out to your single friends, you know, you don't have to always be going out on just single, you know, uh, uh, just on dates, but inviting single friends along and, and not treat them like that third wheel, but, you know, but, but to really incorporate them into, you know, y- your community and, um, and not push people all the time, you know, hey, are you dating anyone? Hey, look at him, you know, or whatever, but just, because that can be sometimes pressure too. Um, but, um, but, but really, uh, uh, so kind of toning down the dating frenzy a little bit uh, but also appreciating, you know, our, our single friends um, and, and, and realizing, because I know, I mean, on the, I lived in the dorms. Uh, I was 31, they call me grandpa, um, when I was on the, on, on my floor um, but sometimes, you know, I see the guys that come back, you know, after Saturday night and they'd be, you know, hanging out in the lounge and they'd talking about, oh, you know, man, I took her here and, man, she was hot blah, blah, blah and it's like, that's nice but you know are you really you know more showing off you know than, uh, and, and are we really respecting the young lady that you just took out as a sister in the Lord by talking you know about her like that or you know can we just maybe sometimes we don't have to just talk about that and you know we can talk about other things so those are things that we can do. Um, now would you define yourself as homosexual or heterosexual? Um, I would not, though I say, um, I st- still have these, um, I may still have same-sex attractions and ex- might experience homosexual feelings, but what I experience now is not the same as it, w- as it was 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago is much different, you know, right when I came out of prison and was just coming to the Lord, you know, at times it felt like I was white-knuckling it. You guys don't know what I mean? You know, when you're white-knuckling, getting through life, and just, God, if I could just get through this one day, and, you know, whatever, not do, whatever. Um, and sometimes that's what it felt like then. But just over time, I think God has been faithful, not necessarily to take our struggle away, but he's been faithful to show that it does get better. It does get easier. doesn't mean that it'll be completely away, and do we have ups and downs, and sometimes we can go through, you know, you know, days, weeks, months, and it's just like... Hey, I could do this forever, but then sometimes it's, it can be really much more intense. But it's not the same as as it as it was before. So, though that might be what I experience, but it just des- doesn't define who I am. So, I you know I choose not to put any permanent modifier before my main identity in Christ. You know, so I am a Christian, uh, and I wouldn't say that I'm gay or straight. I wouldn't say that I'm homosexual or heterosexual, uh, but I experience um, these things and that's, but it's not a big part of who I am. So for me, it's it's more about um, identity and who I am. Um, let's see, can, how can a Christian college uh, staff faculty encourage a student culture toward compassion? Um, you know, I, I think it's, and, and I think that maybe this, is talking about maybe compassion toward people in the gay community um, i I think it's it's really encouraging um, those of us uh, we all have friends that are gay or lesbian right I mean how many of you guys have loved ones, friends maybe uh, from school that are gay or lesbian I, mean, I, I think all of us really do um, and we need to encourage the, each each other you know you know, have you been, you know, reaching out? You know, like my mother, you know, she sent those Christian cards all the time and it was really annoying to me. But as I look back, it was planting seeds, you know. And, and you can do that. You don't have to send, you know, those really cutesy Christian cards. But what you can do is maybe just send an email, a text, right? You guys like texting, so just send a text. Hey, thinking about you, man. Hope you're doing well. You know, praying for you. Um, I know some people that are like, you know what, don't pray for me because I know what you're praying for. Uh, but <laughs> what what I tell people to say, though, is, you know what, I pray for everyone that I really care about. And um, so that can just be simply planting seeds. Um, So encouraging that, um, I think that can be toward compassion. And also encouraging um, that we are uh, more careful in the way that we respond um, to those on campus that that might be wrestling through this issue, you know, that this is something. Again, I, I bet you know someone on campus who wrestles with this but maybe they just haven't shared it with you yet. Um, so those are ways that we can be more compassionate. My sibling just told me uh, they were gay. They believe love is God. What do I do? Love on them. I mean, um, yes, um, God is love, but God is so much more than love. Um, and, um, but the other thing is just because God is love and, and we're called to love, that doesn't necessarily mean... Though that um, love equals sex, right? I mean, oftentimes people say, "Well, you know, the greatest commandment is to love." We're called to love the Lord your God. We're called to love our neighbor. So, what is wrong about loving, you know, one another and loving my gay partner? Well, okay, you just made a jump from loving God and loving your neighbor to loving and having an intimate, you know, implying sexual relationship with your partner. Well. Loving God and loving your neighbor, that's not having an intimate sexual relationship with God or your neighbor. Um, so it's not really, um, not really a straight connection. But, you know, love on your sibling. Um, let them know that, you know, nothing has changed. You're going to treat them just the same. Um, and let them know that, you know, your, your hope is that they would come, you know, really surrender to Christ. Um, and that's what you can be praying for, not that they would somehow turn straight but first and foremost that they would turn to Jesus. Uh, Why is it that homosexuality often strikes Christians as the worst sin? What is the reasoning behind that? I mean I think some of that is because for many people uh, homosexuality... Okay, looking at someone else's sin as disgusting is often much easier than looking at our own sin as being disgusting, right? And for most people, this is not something that most people are wrestling with. And uh, so it's easier to look at that and say, oh, that is just gross. That's just awful. You know, but when that becomes your own thing that you're struggling with, I mean, wouldn't it be great if just sin was just gross and disgusting for, for all of us? Then would not any of us struggle with sin? I mean, let's be honest. You know, our sin, it does feel good. Our sin, it is comfortable. And that's why sin is sin. But someone else's sin might seem gross and disgusting to you, but, you know, that's, that's their sin, you know, and, and yet we need to... I think, so I think that's, that's what it is. Uh, it's easy to look at someone else's sin and saying, well, that's just horrible. Um, that's just gross and disgusting. So I think that's part of the reason why it's seen as the worst sin. Um, let's see. How do we respond to Christians who find their identity in their homosexuality rather than Christ and believe that homosexuality isn't wrong because they're saved? Um, Well, I mean, I think the first part, talking about how do we respond to Christians who, I guess, would say that they're gay and Christian and think that that God blesses this, um, I think, as I've met most people who say that they're gay and Christian and that they think it's okay, for, on most cases, um, what is really, uh, as, as I kind of talk more with them and, and press them on the issue, um, I find that really, at the core, one of the main problems is really how they view Scripture and then that affects how they view the Gospel. Because for most of these people, the uh, only way that they can kind of justify, justify homosexuality as being something that God blesses as they see that the Bible um, has been wrong in a few places. And, you know, that, look at the Old Testament, we don't believe all those things and, and so their view of scripture is much different than the way that we might view scripture, which then affects the way that they view the gospel, that the, view, that the gospel is no longer about sinful man in need of a savior, but the gospel is just about do good, be good, it's about social justice, um, and not to say that the gospel isn't about ju- social justice, but the gospel isn't solely about social justice. It's about sinful man needing a savior along with social justice and being and compassion. Um, so I think at the core, as you talk with uh, these Christians who affirm homosexuality, I think the main problem is their view of what is the gospel. And so I think just that's what we need to continue to talk on. You know, what is the gospel to you? You know, is the gospel really, you know, if, if the gospel was just about do good, be good, or just a social gospel, then why did Jesus need to go to the cross? He could have just lived a perfect life, and then that was our example. Um, and then what do we do uh, if they believe that they're, just because that they're saved? Well, um, you know, there's the, you know, I'm reformed. Uh, you know, as well. So you know, I'll, you know, and if you hold to that, you know, it's that you can't lose your salvation. But I do also believe that um, if one truly has um, been redeemed, there will be fruit of repentance. There will be transformation of evidence of their um, redemption. Um, and so, though, you know that person might say, well, I'm saved. Well, the reality is there needs still to be that fruit of redemption. I wouldn't say, then, you're not saved because I ultimately don't know that and I don't know what might happen down the road, but I would encourage that we all need to encourage uh, us to live um, lives of holiness. How can we best make Geneva College a safe place for those struggling with homosexuality? Um, Well, I mean, I think a wonderful thing is the fact that you guys um, have um, um, uh, can, uh, you know, ministry, a group that uh, is closely associated with the school. You guys have Amy Solomon um, and the counseling center, uh, other counselors um, that that are really attuned to this. You know, I've been talking with them and getting to know them, um, but but this group, most campuses don't have that. I've gone to, you know, just last year I was at 15 different CCCUs speaking, and the majority of those don't have what you guys have. So you guys are really blessed that you guys have a ministry um, that might not necessarily be, like, part of Geneva, but it's really closely associated with Geneva uh, that students are involved with. And so if you guys know um, people that might be wrestling, encourage them to get involved with that, encourage them to, get, um, to go talk with Amy um, and, and you yourself to be... Uh, be that person to kind of make them feel welcome, Uh, you know, it's really cool, Um, I, when I started at Moody, uh, again, you know, I was 31 years old, I was just really scared, because I mean, not scared about school or whatever, but I was like, you know, I just don't want to be on a floor where these guys are going to be up all night and, you know, you know, running around, you know, naked or whatever, you know, I don't know what, you know, guys do on, on, you know, like, just keeping me up all night, and so I was like, put me on a good floor, please, and you know give me a good roommate um, so they put me in with this guy he was like only 19 years old you know and I was 31 and I was a little anxious because you know come to find out he's from like the middle of you know Washington state you know graduated from a high school of 10 And i was like oh great they put me with a redneck um, <laughs> so and, uh, and so I was like okay call him up and you know before I moved in I was like you know I'm just gonna share with him my, my whole testimony because I don't want him to share you know here from secondhand um, and uh, so I, I told him my whole testimony, everything, you know, from the drugs to the prison to homosexuality and HIV and AIDS, I mean everything, you know, he's 19 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, he gets off the phone and his mom was like, oh, nice, you know, she's really nice. She's kind of like Beaver Cleaver, uh, Cleaver the Cleavers, you know, like the mom, she's really sweet. And, and she's like, oh, that's so nice. Who are you talking to? He's like, oh, that's my new roommate. And, and he's like, oh, you really like this. He's 31 years old. And he's like, oh, that's so great. And then, she, and then he's like, yeah, and he just got out of prison. <laughs> so it was cool, uh, pretty amazing that she actually let him come back to Moody. Um, but what was really cool, and this is how God works, um, he, you know, like I said, came from this high school of 10, you know, or graduating class of 10 people. Um, his best friend that, that was in high school, that he knew all the way through grade school, shared with him that summer before that we you know, we're roommates and shared with him that he struggled with same-sex attraction. I mean, he was just like, he was totally floored. He didn't know what to do. And, you know, my roommate is like total jock, you know, he loves to like, um, I don't know, go hunting, shoot rifles and you know, I don't know all that, uh, you know, whatever you American guys do or whatever. Um, So, but, and I'm totally opposite, you know, I'm not good at sports, you know, I don't like to get dirty. Uh, you know, and and so, you know, he runs marathons and everything, and but God put us together, and yet we just developed this bond. I mean, we have, like, very little in common, very little in common, uh, but then it was cool, like, um, you know, I stood up at his wedding, I was his best man, and uh, he named his second boy after me. I mean, so it's, we've just developed this this great, great relationship, and I think, you know, we need to, one way that we can kind of help be like a safer place is to not necessarily hang out with people that are all like us look out for people that are a little bit different and I think that that will just totally enrich your life. You know, I think it's totally cool that I'm you know, that the you know, my best friend is totally different than me. You know, we really have very little in common. And when we hang up, I mean hang out, you know, it's like, you know, we're doing things that he likes or we're doing things that I like. And it's totally different. But it's like, you know, I would never have done I would you know I would never have gone out and shot, you know, shotgun on my own, you know, if it wasn't I didn't know him, you know, shot, you know, what do you call that? Skeet or whatever. Um, which, by the way, I'm actually pretty good. I would never have known that. Um, so, uh, you know, I would encourage that, that. that Look for others that are just different from you. And, and I think that you'll just really be uh, enriched by that. Um, and, y- you know, you don't have to seek someone that's just like you. And just because you might feel a little uncomfortable, um, you know, developing a relationship with someone that may, might be wrestling with that, maybe God is just trying to stretch you and to grow you. Um, so... Any more questions I, I just completely talked your ear off, you know, and if you let me i 'll just completely talking. Um, anything else? Yes uh, okay <laughs> okay um, well, fortunately that wasn 't too political. Um, I'm just, I'm so grateful that um, I'm not called to be a politician so that's one of those bonuses, I guess, of being a felon. Um, (laughs) uh, But, by the way, I mean that may actually be a bonus in Illinois politics so, uh, (laughs) but um, you know, the, I think when it comes to equality what I tell people is we need to find ways that we can actually where we can agree with with our gay friends and, and neighbors and, or, and even people in the gay community and when it comes to equality I mean I think we can agree to that statement that we agree that all people are created equal and, and they are all created in the image of God and we should all treat them equally um, so you know when it comes to um, the rights and this is where marriage gets complicated because Marriage. I, I feel like, you know, as the church, we're not so much arguing about the rights. We're kind of more arguing about kind of the definition of that, who gets married and who doesn't. Um, and, and yet, from the gay community, they're more talking about the rights. Um, and we're talking about kind of protecting, you know, religious institutions and churches, etc. And, I mean, for me personally, it, it is a very complicated issue because, you know, we're, we're talking about, in, in America, we're so careful not to intertwine the church and the state, you know, as in you know, other countries in Europe that where the, the church and the state is almost one. And so we try to keep those separate, but I find that this is the one issue where we find those two issues pretty, you know, intricately combined, where it's... Mostly, not all, but mostly a religious institution that gives the certificate of marriage, um, whether it's a synagogue or a temple or a church or a mosque, and they give the certificate of marriage. But then after that, that's when the government comes in and kind of gives these rights. Um, so that's where I find it's it's very complicated, um, and for me, I'm not so much concerned about those rights, and I'm you know, I I'm more willing to kind of. Be able to you know give those rights. It's just saying that you know as as an institution, uh, you know we I, I don't want to have to be forced to be able to do something that might be going against uh, what we believe. Um, so I, I think we, we can talk about yeah we we believe that all pe- people um, are created equal. So it's you know on the other hand and also you know possibly rights as well. It's just talking about uh, this. Whatever happens with marriage, because many, most marriages, I would say the majority of marriage, I don't know what is the percentage. I'm guessing maybe 70 percent of marriage, marriages actually occur in a religious setting. Um, that then is going to affect um, churches, and so that's why you know people say, well, you don't have a right to say, well, we in a sense do because this is something that affects religious institutions. So, it's 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 difficult. At the end of the day, um, I. I feel it, it, it really breaks my heart that I see many of our peers um, that might not be Christian um, really hate us because of um, the way that the church at large um, in America seems to be so anti-marriage to the point that this has become the enormous stumbling block to coming to know Christ. And that just, I, that really burdens me. I mean, I hate the fact that anything would come in the way of someone coming to know Christ. Um, so as much as I see that marriage is important, I almost see something as being more important. Because in a sense, we, we see it as, you know, if we win this this year or win this next year or, you know, in different states they're kind of sending these ballots what's happening we're seeing more and more and more people completely hardened and just want nothing to do with the church and the gospel and so you know I to me I want to lift up the gospel more than this issue that might be important but I see the gospel as being something even more important. Yes? Great. Um, I don't know if some of you guys heard that. What are some practical things that um, I have done or haven't done, um, did or didn't do to guard my heart from kind of returning, uh, you know, going back to homosexuality? Um, I think. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, this is really easy, and I don't want to kind of give your, you know, typical Sunday school pat answer. But I mean, it is intimacy in, with Christ. I mean, that's a simple answer, but that's also complex. You know. Uh, i I have found that um, during the times when i 'm you know really thriving in my you know really personal revival and intimate that, that those are times when um, the struggle has become easier. not that the temptations have gone away, but it's been easier for me to stand faithful um, and, and so you know we all have to know how that happens because for each of us that's that's different and um, you know, for those of you guys, and that's a great place for you guys to kind of explore that. You know, what is your best way of finding intimacy with Christ? Whether it is getting up in the morning at 6 a.m. and and having your quiet time and or, you know, having your walks. I mean, you guys have a beautiful campus here. You know, whether it's, I don't know, walking up to the G or whatever and, and you know, just, you know, having your time, you know, alone with God. Uh, but being sure to, you know, have that. Um, I also think that being in community is key. Uh, that you know, I don't know how I'd be able to do it, you know, apart from my parents. Um, if it wasn't for my parents, you know, I wouldn't even be here. So, um, you know, I know not everyone has, you know, parents that really support me. You know, I know, you know some of you guys might have parents that aren't even Christian. <laughs> some of you guys uh, might have Christian parents though that, you know, could be supportive, uh, but maybe you don't have like a really deep connection with them. Um, so that's why even more, we need each other, you know, we, we really, really need each other. So, um, seek out peers to, uh, to not only, you know, build relationships, but hold you accountable. Um, but, uh, seek out mentors. I loved my time at Moody, um, as a student because I had like all these people that I could, you know, meet with. Uh, on a weekly basis, that could mentor me, and that was really, really cool, so take advantage of that because you 're not going to have that forever. I mean you guys are going to be gone you know in less than four years, um, so seek that out um, peop- you know, look at some professors that you 're like that 's someone that I want to be like you know or that 's someone that I, that I see just really reflects Jesus um, and seek that person out, spend time with them, have lunch with them, um, ask them you know if they 'll mentor you, disciple you. Um, and uh, other things that I've done that are just more practical things, um, I, I just kind of set clear boundaries. I know where I'm weak and when I travel, I never travel alone. That was just a... Um, a policy that I had set up, you know, once I was traveling um, quite a bit more uh, five or six years ago that I wouldn't go anywhere alone, not, not just on the issue of homosexuality, but also with the issue of drugs. That's not, drugs is not a major pull for me anymore. It's more kind of my working through with, with sexuality, but I, I don't, I know that I am still capable of that. So um, I'm just careful with, with that. Um, so I, I think those are kind of just some, spru- some practical things. good. Anything else? I see a hand in the mirror there, but I don't know. Oh, over here. Great. Wow. Good question. Nice and bold. I like that. Um, uh, Did you guys hear the question? What's my view on masturbation and what is it? Being single and keeping holy. Um, I think um, when it comes to masturbation, sometimes people will go to the Old Testament where um, uh, the, the guy w- was supposed to, and I can't remember his name, Onan, um, was supposed to, um, his brother's brother died, and so he was, you know, co- according to Levitical law, supposed to um, uh, give his brother's wife um, a child, so to in essence perpetuate, and uh, so he did have sex with her, but then let his sperm spill on the ground, and then I think you know, I mean, he, he died. Um, so people say, so therefore, uh, masturbation is wrong. Uh, 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 that's not really masturbation, I mean, that's having sex with someone, and then um, anyway, we'll just stop there. Uh, <laughs> so the what is being condemned there is he was going against Levitical law. I mean, he was called to um, give, um, help perpetuate his brother's offspring, and that's part of Levitical law, um, but not masturbation. Uh, that passage. Um, the Bible isn't really clear, I mean, because we don't have any other examples of you know, the act of masturbation. Um, what we do have, though, that is kind of indirectly um, related is um, lust. Uh, for me personally uh, the main issue with masturbation, whether for guys or for girls, um, is what, what's going through our mind um, because uh, I, mean, I hope this is okay that we're talking about this. Uh, when you go through the act Oftentimes, what's going through our mind, it's lustful thoughts. And oftentimes, those lustful thoughts are thoughts for people that aren't our spouse at that time. Especially if you're single, then you know, any person is, is not your spouse because you're not married. Um, so, to, to me, that's the main issue with masturbation. I, I know some people say uh, that you know, uh, it's okay, though, if you don't do lustful thoughts. I just know how I am. I, I know that, that that's pretty, pretty difficult. Um, I know also then uh, the reality for guys, you know, that you can go through the night and then, you know, have the, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. And uh, I, I don't personally see anything wrong with that because that's not intentional. You're not, that that just happens. Um, and so I, I personally don't find anything wrong with that. Um, but when it comes to masturbation, I I find the main problem is with the lustful thoughts. With that said, um, if you do struggle with that, um, I mean, I don't want you to think that you're like totally wrong, but, but okay, let me, let me do both sides of the spectrum. If that is your main issue and you just think that it's nothing wrong, um, I, I think that you need to really think that through because uh, we need to know that um, those lustful thoughts are not pleasing to God. Um, And though I did say it's the lustful thoughts that is sin, I do also think that we can make that become our idol as well. Because you can just uh, be so focused upon gratifying ourselves, you know, and that can be applied not just to masturbation, but to gratifying ourselves by eating chocolate all the time, you know, that can become our idol. So uh, masturbation could be an idol in that sense. Um, so those would be to the people that just kind of struggle and think that there's, it's not as big of an issue. But I also know some people that struggle with this and they're just racked with guilt. Um, and to those people I just want to say, you know, um, keep fighting. Um, you know, strive to, you know, kind of br- break free from that bondage if it is a bondage for you. Um, but don't be racked with guilt to the point that, you know, I mean, you, you aren't that abnormal. Um, and um, so, I just want you to not be racked with guilt in that sense. So, no. is that okay? Great. Yeah. Yes. Um I would say yes and sort of no, um, yes, in the sense that yes, I mean all sin is uh in a sense struggling with our flesh and saying no to our flesh and saying yes to God, so yes, there is that similarity, uh but being kind of that devil the de- devil's advocate, uh, most people who um who experience same-sex attractions, what they would kind of respond to that, though, and think in their mind is, well, okay, that's fine and dandy, but eventually you can, um, you know, experience and um, get married at some point with, with someone and have sex. Um, uh, but for, you know, the person who ha- finds same-sex attractions and is not attracted to the opposite sex, then they're like, I can never. That's what the, I mean. That's oftentimes is the answer for me. I, I would not say you can never because I know people um, who um, struggle with same-sex attractions, and that um, they they are uh, married to the opposite sex. Um, they might still continue to struggle, uh, but they have they love their wife, or or if the wife struggles with with same-sex attractions, they love their husband and um, and yet this is just you know something that they're they're working through. So it can be uh, but in a sense also know that it is still a little bit different and so it is kind of still just saying that. Um, so I would be a little um, cautious or careful in that when you say that that say it in a sense of saying it's sort of but I also know that it's c- not the same either because sometimes people can be hurt to say you know what no it's not the same because you at at least some point you can go and date your girlfriend, eventually get married, and have sex, whereas for me, I'm not attracted to girls. Um, I can never, and even though, uh, you know, this person might be attracted to guys, I can never have sex with guys. you know what I mean? So there's that yes and no. Any other questions? Good. Well, you guys have been really, really good. Thanks so much for everything, and your patience. (laughs) Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And I
0: just want to end with um, kind of what you started with. Let's continue this conversation. Okay? I would just love that. Um, I think this has been an, an amazing day and hopefully has really challenged you and encouraged you, and let's, let's just not this, let this end. Let's continue this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. <laughs>